When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. England are off to the best possible start to their 2022 World Cup campaign after a stunning 6-2 win over Iran on the opening match day. Mikhail Saka scored twice for Gareth Southgate's side with goals also provided by Jude Bellingham, Ryan Sterling, Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish. And following Wales' 1-1 draw with the United States last night, England are now in a commanding position in Group B. The only blemishes on the result were injury concerns over the two Harrys, Maguire and Kane, and a furore over Kane's one-love armband also coming in as a distraction pre-game. It's the US up next for England on Friday evening before the Derby against Wales on Tuesday. Joining me, Peter Staunton, for this edition of Football Digest are Ned Keating and, from Qatar, John Cross and Andy Dunn. Good morning, or should I say good afternoon, gentlemen. Andy, can you take us through, um, the, I suppose, the fallout from the England camp uh, over the opening matchday victory against Iran? Well, in terms of what you mentioned, injury-wise, the fallout, um, we won't know um, um, definite details until later. There's some open training um, later today in about three hours' time. You're right, it is good afternoon, two minutes past midday here in, in, in Doha. Um, so we might know a bit more. But um, what I can tell you is that when we spoke to Southgate um, last night, um, he didn't seem overly concerned. When, when Harry Maguire went off, it looked, it looked, he looked in some distress. And initially, we thought there might be some concussion issues or, or or something else that might be serious and might jeopardize the rest of the tournament for him. But it turns out really that, that um, Gareth Southgate said that he was just feeling a bit sick, a little bit nauseous, um, a little bit of blurred vision. Um, and they, considering the position of strength they were in, I think they were probably four one up. I think when he came off, yes, they were four one up because because in fact they just scored. Maybe Harry wants to go off because they was so shocked that Iran had just scored. But it was four one. They decided that it was best to take him off. Um, and with Harry Kane, the Harry Kane situation only came to light when we saw him after the game and and, and he was limping. But um, it was quite a, a, a tough challenge that, that he withstood. But um, again, the England manager said that he doesn't anticipate any particular issues. And Harry Kane sort of was looked very relaxed, spoke very relaxed when I see his family in the stands, like a, a sort of throwback to 2018, went to his family in the stands, had a chat with them. Um, so, in general, um, the only concern that Gareth Southgate seems to have talked about the fallout was was why they conceded two goals. And sometimes you might feel that's a little bit picky and a little bit sort of typical manager, basically, you know, well, basically sort of like being a little bit smart, saying, well, actually, you know what I mean, um, the two goals is a concern. But overall, as you can imagine, Peter, the, the, the mood um, was was a very, very positive one. And particularly as the fact that they'd all played well, not just one to eleven, but one to well, one to sixteen was it? Did all five come on? I think so. You know, and and all made an impact. So, um, so as you can imagine, very positive, and I don't expect it to be anything other than that when we report back from England's training camp later today. John, I wanted to bring uh, you in here and uh, just mention. 
you know, before the game, there was maybe a little bit of trepidation. England's results throughout the year had been quite poor. Uh, Nations League campaign had been a complete write-off. And there's maybe maybe a little bit of nervousness that they wouldn't get off to the best of starts, but they blew all that away uh, yesterday with, I suppose, the quality of their performance from the very first minute. Uh, they did, Peter. And I think the, the, the issue for me really was the um, the trick to it was Gareth Southgate going for it, really. Re- releasing the handbrake, playing with a back four, getting, using that system to get as many attacking players into the team, the starting lineup as possible. Listen, I thought he'd stick with the back three. I make no bones about it. And by sort of kind of, you know, Saturday went back, maybe things were, you know, beginning to sort of kind of be worked on in training or something. You know, it, it was, I was really surprised. And I just think the 4-3-3 system or whether he then sort of reverts into a 4-2-3-1, whichever system, you just get more movement, creativity and, you know, uh, I mean, just free-flowing football, really. And I thought it was great. I think the, the, the other system, the, the other thing that I'd raise about the uh, the change was that, in the summer, it's easy to get because the last game England had before this tournament was a three-three draw with Germany. They just couldn't they couldn't create chances, let alone score them. And so that that was their biggest issue. So it's not just about keeping it tight at the back; it's about finding ways to score. And yes, they did let in two goals towards the end against Iran, which was definitely a frustration um, for Southgate. But you've got to look at the positive really and just find that balance to supply players and I thought Bellingham was magnificent you know absolutely ran the game me and Andy disagreed over who, who was man of the match he thought Saka I thought Bellingham I just thought Bellingham just ran the game but it was just about so many different attacking options so many threats coming from so many different angles and yes you know a lot of people have immediately said it's only Iran you know we know it's Iran but the 20th in the world they've had a really bad day at the office by the way and you know but England have played really, really well, I think, and we shouldn't shouldn't kind of forget that. And it was a mood changer because the England fans who've been giving Southgate a bit of stick, all of a sudden serenading him again about sort of kind of you know Southgate, you're the one. I mean, it's a it's a game changer. It's a mood changer. Um, if I could just ask you briefly about Iran, John, uh, while I've got you here. Um, there was all sorts of comments on on social media and on the commentary from the game as well, uh, discussing maybe some of the fan reaction towards the players. That uh, you know, obviously the players didn't sing the anthem. Uh, the fans were booing the anthem while that was taking place. Then the then some of the fans were accused in the aftermath uh, by Carlos Queiroz of of booing the, the team off at halftime. Seemed to me that it, it's not exactly a, a happy camp or a together camp or the most productive camp heading into a World Cup. No, definitely not. I mean, my um, you know my colleague Dave McDonald has been entrenched with the Iranian camp, and um, you know he told a story about going to one of their early press conferences. There's literally no Iranian journalists there. Um, they, they simply weren't allowed in, and you know regulars who have been covering the team haven't been necessarily allowed to travel. WhatsApps have been disabled. Um, it, you know, they've been really tight on security. There's an element of fear ar- ar- around it. And I think that's sort of kind of also spread to the players. The players, have sp- when they've spoken, they've spoken defiantly about it. And they basically said, you know, stop trying to dis- you know, disturb us, basically. And, you know, we'll get on with it. But it was quite interesting when we travelled to the game, travelled on the Metro, you could, you, you know, <laughs> the Iranian fans were very, very passionate. They're very loud. They were very, very colourful, dressed in their, their 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 colours. It was incredibly interesting for me to see so many women supporting the team 
bearing in mind the persecution that's gone on in in that country and the way that kind of you know women are treated i thought that that was interesting and then basically also i don't know whether you saw some of the you know tv and video footage before the game people get very emotional with the anthem and uh, you know the backdrop to it has been something you know quite remarkable something so very different and and and, and frankly unique and and I think it's it's without a shadow of a doubt affected the team, affected the players, and affected the performances. It has to, you know. There's so much going on in that country. That you, you you have to feel for them at the moment. hundred percent. Sorry, Peter. Just, just to back that up, I was actually in the Carlos Queiroz press conference, and it was a long emotional press conference where he just said, "Listen, you know, let these kids play. These kids are weighed down with the the pressure of what's going on. Let's get one thing straight. We, we talk about maybe." You know, would England be distracted by a row over the armband? Well, let's put it into a little bit of perspective. You know, this is they're playing in the World Cup to the backdrop of the turmoil in their country, where you know up to five hundred protesters have been killed. You know, this isn't this. There's not even no wonder they were distracted. No wonder there are huge caveats for their performance. You know, those players looked emotional when they refused to sing the national anthem. And the manager, you know, just said, you know, you just, they're supposed to be happy to be enjoying the World Cup. They're not because they're weighed down by the unimaginable pressures they're under. So, so there is that, there is that. So I do think that is worth highlighting that it was a, these are very um, trying, unique circumstances for Iran to play football in. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Ned, I, I want to bring you in here. Uh, obviously, uh, like myself, you're not in Qatar, uh, sadly, enjoying that beautiful weather that uh, John and Andy have been enjoying. Um, but it was, if we could just pick up on the on the one love armband situation, Ned, that that's something that that kicked off. Um, suppose you know pre game yesterday, it seemed to be all decided that that uh, a lot of uh, European countries were going to wear this one love armband, and then. FIFA puts out that there's going to be sporting sanctions if if that actually goes ahead and they do wear those armbands. And then it turns out that Harry Kane wears the no discrimination armband um, as FIFA stipulated um, for the opening match day. Is there a danger of, of those kind of issues being a distraction for England, something that they don't need? Uh, how did it play out in, in your mind watching this news unfold yesterday? It's just a big own goal by FIFA, really, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> to suggest that these players will be subject to to perhaps bookings as well, um, which, you know, obviously then that becomes, it makes it a hell of a lot easier then for Iran to kind of, you know, I'm not saying that teams in, <laughs> would necessarily get involved in these dirty tactics, but it makes it easier for them to kind of, if Harry Kane would have been booked for wearing said armband or whatever team it is, whatever countries, to kind of have a go and say, maybe we should wind him up a little bit more, see what we can kind of get from him. It already puts them on the back foot. Um, that's also not to say as well that a dodgy referee decision, and let's be honest, there have been plenty of those already in this tournament and we're only two days in and you get a, you know, a, a yellow card that most would say is contentious and then you lose the player then and you can't overturn it because of VAR. It's just a, a massive own goal. It put the players and the teams in a, in a you know, it put them in, a, in an unenviable position because then you've got people back at home and, and on social media saying they should have stood up to FIFA and they should have, you know, still done it. But for the reasons outlined there, you could lose someone and it could end up costing you the match. It's not it's not fair to have to put the players in this position, in this situation. Um, it's a big own goal and it's not the only own goal that we've seen. 
Um, you know, there were other uh, examples yesterday where FIFA have said one thing and another thing has happened. You know, you had the American journalist Grant Wall trying to get into a game whilst wearing a rainbow T-shirt. And, and we were told that before Qatar, that would be fine. You can get in there, you can get into the grounds with those shirts on. He was detained, I think, for about half an hour, wasn't he? He was documenting it on, on social media as well. There was a, uh, a former Wales international, female international, who was wearing a rainbow hat trying to get into their stadium last night. And again, she was prevented, I think, from entering from wearing the hat as well. She decided to stay outside the ground. I might be wrong with the details there, but she wasn't allowed into the ground anyway, wearing the hat. It's just like, what are we playing at here? We're, we're trying to say that it's inclusive and that it's open to all. And you get, you know, for the, for the England team, I think we've definitely seen that they're still inclusive and, and you know, kind of definitely open to everyone. You know, we saw that with Jack Grealish's celebration yesterday for that little lad. You know, what great moment that was and what great feel-good moment that was. And then it comes off the back of, of something which you know, really has you questioning the morals of this World Cup in in banning that one love armband. It's just such a strange, yeah, like I said, it's just an unenviable situation that the players will put in because FIFA don't know whether or not they're coming or going. They'll say one thing and then another thing happens. It's it's it's, it's upsetting to see from, from an organisation as big as that, but it's not really surprising at the end of the day. No, not surprising at this stage. Um, John, if you don't mind me um, just elaborating on this with you a little bit. So this initiative, the One Love initiative, was was kicked off by the FA and some other football associations from from around Europe. Um, they they said they would defy um, you know FIFA and whatever regulations there were to wear the armband. Then they roll it back yesterday and say, we're not going to do it. it. I know that Ned mentioned it could have been an own goal from FIFA, but is there a sense around the team that this was maybe an own goal from, from the FA from the get-go? Um, I think there's a bit of frustration from, 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 from the FA and I think that the FA have rather um, protected the players on that one and it's, you know, they're, they're almost within a bubble on, on that. I do, I, from my perspective, I do, I do feel as if, um, you know, the FA have every right to be really frustrated and I do see that they're also on the flip side you know, the argument that, that should the FA and indeed the players have taken a, a heavier stance because of because of this. And wouldn't it have been an amazing, you know, gesture if Harry Kane had, you know, worn the armband, taken the booking, but imagine, you know, that that, that would have been, you know, the case. And then the next two games, they could have dropped it, but they would have made the point, right? And I get that. But they are also in a position where they're a football team, it's a football association, and they want to win a tournament and, you know, getting their, their captain, their best player, their talisman booked, I guess he's going to go against the kind of the football outlook on it. And, you know, I, I just feel as if, it, if it's been handled abysmally from FIFA. They've put the, the teams in, in, in this difficult position. I'm not sure always whether it's completely the responsibility then of, you know, footballers and teams then to make this stand. I just think it was, you know, the players have been so adamant that they want to do this. I went to the Denmark training camp Saturday. Christian Eriksen said, we're going to do it. 100% we're going to do it and face the consequences. But then basically the FA, you know, were braced for a fine. They weren't braced for a yellow card and it's caught them on the hop. They've been having discussions since about September um, with FIFA and at various points they felt as if they would be allowed to take this stance they would be allowed to do it 
And then on the eve of the game, suddenly a yellow card appears from nowhere. And I have to say that is typical of the way that this tournament has been organised. I think there's a breakdown of relations between FIFA and the local organisers and, and that committee, um, which I think is, you know, only adding to the um, sense of frustration. I think it's, you know, ridiculous that it's being held in a country where you, you know, it's illegal to be gay and basically, you, you know, you could... Um, you know, it's just fundamentally wrong. And I just think that the nations quite understandably want to take a stance. Harry Kane, you know, we spoke to him after the game last night and it was clear that he was frustrated. He wanted to do something, but that decision was taken out of his hands. And I think the FA really were determined to take a stand. They were ready for a heavy fine. They wanted to do something, but ultimately when it came to it, were they prepared to get their captain booked um, yeah, I, they weren't able. They, they weren't willing to do so, and I just think that's. I'm afraid sums up the whole farcical situation of it, and the, the, the farcical nature of this tournament. It's just not. It's just not right, and it's just but not been planned out well enough for me. Should they? Should they not have been aware of the sporting sanctions two months ago, though, when they came up with this? I mean, should and, they not have and, been and aware? And of I agree with you. I agree with you, but they would argue. Along this road, the only time that they've been aware of the sporting sanctions with, was within 24 hours of the game. Yeah, that might be their own fault, though, John. I mean, yeah, that, that, maybe, that, I mean I, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate to a certain extent, but, you, you know, I mean, I guess what FIFA should have done is responded to the, the letter from the nine associations, seven of whom are, are here at the World Cup, and they should have responded to FIFA and, and explained then, listen, in case you don't know... Anyone who wears listen, it, it, it's a regulation that's been there for a long time. Anyone, anyone who wears, um, you know, kit or slogans or whatever that are not sanctioned by FIFA are subject to a booking. So, for example, if Harry Kane scores a goal, takes his shirt off, and he has a a one love T shirt on, he's booked. And that's what. The, so, so basically, what's happened is is that these national associations haven't actually thought about that element to it. But then why would you? So so what, when they wrote to FIFA two months ago to say, this is what we're planning on doing, FIFA should have written back to them. Instead, they just blanked them. And that's the terrible thing. They should have written back to them and said, listen, you do know, you do realise that any unauthorised slogans, which one love, I assume, is classed as a slogan, any unauthorised slogans on any player's kit is punishable by a yellow card. And they should have known that then. Instead, it was a, a suggestion that came out 48 hours before the game. I think it came out in Germany, where they said, listen, oh, by the way, if you wear this, you might have to get a yellow, you know, you might get a yellow card. And then obviously all the associates thought, blimey, we didn't think about this. What are we going to do? They go to FIFA, they say to FIFA, can this happen? And eventually, John, you know, in the in the hours before, FIFA, you know, turn around and say, well, Listen, it, it, it's it's in the rules. Yes, it could happen. You know, it could happen. And then and 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 then the associations decided it wasn't worth the risk.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the build up to it, you would have said that it would have been advisable if they had a PR team for that for them just to kind of say, right, okay, everyone, let's let's keep our heads down at least for the first week. Let's not do anything, you know, rash, silly. Let's not, you know, come out of with bonkers quotes, bonkers decisions. Um, you know, as, as you said there, it, it, again, this is like that that whole Budweiser situation is probably emblematic. Um again of the of the whole World Cup that we're in at the minute, in that we're told one thing and we're going there and and Budweiser will be sold in the stadiums, it'll be fine, fans can drink in the grounds, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we come to Friday, what is it, two days before the first game kicks off, and then it's like, oh no, by the way, we're gonna something that is a big thing in Western culture about football, we're not gonna do that at this World Cup, unfortunately. And it's like, but how did how did it get to that point of being two days out before someone went, no, actually, no, we've got a big issue with that. Let's let's change it. Um, and then Saturday, I'm not entirely sure what he was thinking, uh, Gianni Infantino. Um, but yeah, um, Footy mouth syndrome must be rife amongst the FIFA uh, in uh, executive at the minute. At the minute, because you know, just to, just just everything about that speech, wasn't it? Again, going back to the whole idea of a problematic build-up and, and keeping you kind of you know heads down, and he just comes out and manages to probably offend every single um, you know group and 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 you know affected group groups that have suffered discrimination. He manages to probably single-handedly uh, offend all of them in, in the space of one speech, which is remarkable, really. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I just I just think it's so it's so unfair to pin it on Harry Kane, I must say. I think pin it on the FA, you know, have a, have a, have a crack at the FA if you want, and I'm sure they'd be happy to shoulder the blame rather than see it on pin it on Kane. I just feel as if, like, you know, what an absolute, what an absolute farce. And maybe it's provided the you know the publicity we needed. Sorry, Andy. No, I was just going to say, Joe. Can, can I just make one, one one quick point on this on the on the beer ban and on the armband ban? Do we think it's FIFA? Do you do we really think it's FIFA solely to blame for this? Because I, I'll tell you what, these decisions are based from the Qatari organising committee. Let's just everyone bear in mind that, that there are two two bodies here: FIFA and the Qatari Supreme Committee. And it's come to the World Cup, and they are as, if not more, influential in these decisions than FIFA. FIFA would have happily, I'm sure, been happy to have Budweiser sold, uh, because after all, they signed a $75 million sponsorship contract with them. They would would have wanted and been happy for Budweiser alcoholic beer to be sold inside the stadium. The Qataris didn't. Would would FIFA have been happy with the, the armband? No, probably not. But also, would the Qataris have said, "Listen, we don't want any of this, 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 this insignia coming out and whatever." Hence, why the Grant Wall story, hence, and hence the rainbow-colored hats being banned. This is this is about now. This is about the committee here on the ground in Qatar saying, "Okay, listen, we've now got the World Cup. Now you're playing by our rules." It's definitely it's going to run and run throughout the tournament. I don't think we've heard the last of of these sort of off the field. Um, off the field issues, very important issues, obviously, that need to be raised uh, while the World Cup is in Qatar, but uh, I don't think we've heard the last of them uh, so far. Um, John, I, m- I might bring us back to the football, actually. Um, one player I wanted to speak about is uh, Bukayo Saka. Uh, I know we sat here, I think it was a Thursday or Friday last week, and said we could probably name a 10, probably, of Gareth Southgate's opening uh, 11 players for the first match. I don't think any of us had Saka, let's be honest. Uh, I know in our ideal 11, we probably would have had Saka, but I don't think we would have chosen him as a Southgate pick. But yeah, he comes into the team, scores twice, uh, and by all accounts uh, has caused a dispute between our two heavyweights here as to whether he should have been man of the match or not. Uh, Fine start for Saka, you would say. 
Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I think you're right, Peter. I don't think, I think there was some dispute over whether Southgate would pick him, but I think we all had him in, in, in our team simply because why? Because you, it's so too easy to forget, maybe because he's such a quiet, humble lad who just gets on with it. Basically, he's England's player of the year. I mean, over the last 12 months, he's been England's best player. I mean, he's been asked to play in various different roles, variety of different um, formations. And he's always, you know, given absolutely everything. I thought that last night the key was that he was in his preferred position, you know, further forward as part of the um, front three. I thought he's absolutely outstanding again. Um, he's so technically gifted. I mean, he's, you know, he's 21 now. I had to go away and check that, actually, because there's so many young players. Just forget his age, really. But he seems to have been around for a while. But I think what, what defines him for me is his decision-making. For a young player, he's got the best decision-making, um, particularly, you know, from when he was a teenager, that I've, I've, I've seen. It's absolutely phenomenal. He just doesn't make a mistake. Um, and, he, you know, technically terrific. He strikes the ball so well. I mean, his first goal was was you know, slight deflection, wasn't it? But he's always around, always making mischief. He's got this great ability to kind of, you know, dribble so tightly with the ball and so such control, tease his defenders as he did with his second goal. And he, he just adds an extra extra dimension. He's the epitome of the modern winger in, in for me because he just works so hard. He, you know, keeps the ball well. He's, his passing is excellent. Um, his distribution is terrific and technically absolutely at the top of his game. He has got the ability to to really shine in this tournament. Listen, it's going to be really disappointing for Phil Foden not to be involved. And a lot of people might say, oh, why don't you just get Foden in as well? Well, you can't get everyone in. And you have to have some sort of balance to the team. And I just think that, you know, I think Saka actually, when you put it in context, yeah, disappointing for Foden. But actually, Saka has done more than enough to earn his place as well. And the shirt is now, I know that Southgate likes to pick horses for courses sometimes, but the mm. shirt was probably his to lose now. I don't see Saka falling out of the lineup. I don't know. I think that, I, th- I think he's quite going to be quite adaptable in a way, Southgate, because the conditions here, maybe the heat, you know, maybe it cools down in the evening, so it won't be such a factor. But it's interesting to me that he obviously made so many substitutes. So he's going to use the substitutes. He's going to use the squad without a shadow of a doubt. I did think it was interesting that the, the forward plays were hooked. Um, towards the end. I mean, surely that then perhaps suggests that they were being saved and spared a little bit for the weekend. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, another player, uh, Ned, I just want to, I want you to join us uh, to discuss this particular player. It's Jude Bellingham. Uh, again, he would have been in most people's ideal England 11s. Uh, I'm not sure how many uh, of Southgate's predicted 11s uh, people would have put Jude Bellingham in, but he comes in, he starts, scores England's first goal, his first goal for England and England's first goal uh, of the World Cup. An all-round fantastic performance from um, from Jude Bellingham. Absolutely. I think maybe for the slightly uninitiated England fans who don't perhaps watch anything outside of the Premier League, they would have seen bits and, and bobs of, of Jude Bellingham in the Champions League and would have seen then how good he was, you know, running games against. Borussia Dortmund always seemed to draw Manchester City at some point. Um, and every game that, that Jude Bellingham's played against them so far, he's been running the games for him, you know, 17, 18, 19. Phenomenal player. Um and those England fans that maybe didn't realise how good a player he was definitely saw that yesterday. Again, I know it's a Rand, but he just looks a class above. He didn't look 19, he looked 29. He looks so mature, so brilliant in his play. Um, 
you know, it, this kid is generational. I think we've said it on this podcast many times. And I think everyone said it, that, that those of us that see his talent know how good he is. He is a mainstay in this sinking side now. Now that he's got that starting spot, he will be in this England squad for the next 15 years. That's it. It's just a case of who partners him. Probably Declan Rice for the next 10 at least, um, unless someone else that's generational comes through. Um and, it, and it's great now that he's adding goals to his game. He spoke to, to BBC afterwards and he said that that's something that he wants to do. And, and that run for that first goal, especially, um, you know, a, a great great run into the box, great timing, um, you know, kind of almost Gerard-esque or Lampard-esque, isn't it? You know, kind of getting into the box and arriving at the right time. Good header as well. Um, and again, you know, for, for Bellingham, um, and again, this probably goes for Saka, this goes for Harry Maguire as well. The one thing that I, I felt from yesterday was that any of the, and I say contentious, it's not a, a big call. It wasn't a contentious call to start Jude Belling. However, we all know how much Gav Southgate loves uh, Calvin Phillips, whether or not he was you know, fully fit or not, it, it kind of depends. But you know, for, for Bellingham to be in, for Saka to get the nod over Foden, and, and the way that Harry Maguire played as well, you know, these these are big calls. And I think if you go back to the Croatia game in the Euros, um, and if you remember that one, Kieran Trippier at left back uh, in that game played brilliantly. Tyrone Ming stepping into to centre back and there were question marks over him, played brilliantly in that game. Calvin Phillips, again, you know, was phenomenal against Croatia in that match. And that was another questionable decision beforehand. Um, sorry for keeping in the ding and the missus is is, is clearly not agreeing with, uh, with what I'm saying this morning not on this. That's what you can hear in the background. But those big questionable calls that Southgate made in the previous first game of the tournament, you know, and every time he seems to make them, the players that come in that do start that maybe, you know, kind of had your question marks over, they always deliver. And, and Bellingham yesterday delivered phenomenally. I'm not saying that we had any question marks over him doing that, but obviously for, you know, 19, making that first start in the World Cup, you can you can give him a few uh, a few kind of nerves and stuff, but he showed that brilliant maturity, ran the game, um, and, and he's going to be crucial to, to any chances England have of going deep in this World Cup. Absolutely. Um, John, I just wanted to ask you whether you saw the Wales against the United States match last night. Uh, and if so, is there anything from those particular two sides that you think England need to be concerned about? Or what do you think the, the group is almost done and dusted with a two-point gap after after one game at this stage? Yeah, no, I did see it. Um, what can I take from it? Um, I could take from it how poor Wales were in the first half. They were terrible, weren't they? I mean, I was su- surprised uh, how poor they were. Um, they couldn't get, they couldn't get, um, you know, it seemed to me Bale and Ramsey into the game. Um, so there seemed to be sort of kind of a real gap between everything else. Um, and surely they can't allow that to happen again. So I did, I did think that was, you know, an eye opener. And sure enough, they improved second half for sure. But um, if the United States, I, I just think they were, Quite well organised in 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 defence. Obviously, quite solid, weren't they? Basically, terrible mistake on on the on the penalty to give that away. And the other thing was, I just think everything comes through Pulisic, you know. So I just think that Pulisic was so influential in that game. I mean, we have sort of how can I put it a negative perception in this country about Pulisic, um, just because I don't know that he's massively delivered on a consistent basis for Chelsea. Um, he hasn't, you know, started consistently for a start, by the way. But then basically on on the international stage, I just think he's a different animal. He, he clearly relishes it. He's a megastar in the States. And I think that he will be, without a shadow of a doubt, if there was any doubt, um, then he will be the, the man to watch, the real danger man um, in, in that game with England. I, th- I think... USA, I think they'll probably feel that they frittered that that one away last night. I think they were well on top at halftime, uh, dominating the game. And they probably, 
you know, shutting up shop when you only have one goal in the difference. And then Wales have a, a player like Kiefer Moore who can, you know, he's exactly the type of player you want to have in, in reserve when, when you're going to chase a game, get the ball into the box. He can hold it up on his chest, bring other people into play. I thought United States really played into their hands when they had the game almost at their mercy. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. I, do, I just think that it should have... The only thing I'd say about United States was that, you know, by the way, it's the youngest squad at the tournament, I think I'm right in saying. And then basically they just didn't seem to, you know, make their superiority count in that first half. And I think maybe, um, you know, they just didn't close the game off really. And Wales, you know, even when they get the penalty, up until that point, just couldn't see them scoring. They didn't carry a threat. And I just think that basically should have shown a bit more maturity and a bit more experience just to see the game out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, uh, at close quarters, what what do you think Gareth Southgate will have seen from from the United States that he, he might want to guard against in the next fixture? Well, I just think I, I think what he'll have seen is that they're probably a bit fitter, a bit stronger, a bit quicker than Iran were. Um, and he, in fact, he said to us he expects them to come at um, England full throttle. The game's... 10 o'clock in the evening out here. Be nice conditions. Um, he expects, I think, he, he expects a more robust physical challenge from the United States. But I thought they, I thought they tired a bit last last night. So I'm not sure that will materialise. Um, up close, he, he obviously won't say it, but I don't think you'll see anything last night that will unduly cause him any sleepless nights between now and Friday. I mean, he's got to guard against complacency, you know, from the way England played. But, you know, he has got so many options. I mean, so many options now. Um, Southgate, you know, you, you'll have to see what came on from the bench and the impact they had, you know. Um, to, to think that they've got that they've got enough to get past the USA on Friday night. I say, I just think, I think he'll expect a more organised um, defence. I mean, bear in mind as well, um, just one minor point. I don't think it helped around that their first choice goalkeeper was... was um, was knocked out of the game so early on yesterday. The goalkeeper who came on, he didn't do anything particularly, make any particular howlers, but he just spent his time picking the ball out the net, basically, you know. And, and for, for, for for three of the goals, he was, he was, you know, he just was a bystander. So I, d- I don't think that helped them as well. I think what Gareth Southgate will expect is is a far more rigorous. Um, a pace of play challenge, you know. I don't think the United States will will defend as deeply as it, as Iran tried to do initially, but that all went out the window, didn't it? You know, the whole game. So, um, yeah, he'll expect to stay at a test, but then he couldn't really have an easier test, could he? No, uh, absolutely. And I could I could see Carlos Queiroz with his head in his hands uh, when the goalkeeper couldn't come out, couldn't stay in the game because obviously he's got that tremendous long throw ability to to set them off on the counter attack. So. Uh, a huge blow to the game plan. Uh, guys, I know that you've got uh, better places to be than sat here talking to me and Ned. Um, you're going to go and watch uh, England train, talk to some of the players around the squad. Uh, make sure you keep up uh, with what the guys are producing either online or in print um, all throughout this week as we build up to the to the United States game. Uh, and do join us uh, when we preview that match. Uh, and we shall be back later in the week on Football Digest. So from Ned, John, Andy and myself, thanks for joining us, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon and enjoy the day's games. 